electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli. Jim Cramer has the morning off. Pre-market is hardened a bit by the smallest month-on-month PPI print in more than a year, although core was in line. Ten-year, 173. Oil backs off a touch near 82. Of course, Lael Brainerd's confirmation hearing coming up in the next hour. Our roadmap begins with that eye on inflation. Uh, the Fed vice chair nominee calling it the Fed's most important task. Plus, we are continuing to track COVID. President Biden set to tap the military to help hospitals in six days, but some early signs that the Omicron wave could be easing. And AMC CEO Adam Aaron unloading more shares, but says he's done selling and, quote, I am in. Guys, let's uh, dig into PPI a bit this morning. Uh, the year-on-year number is going to be uh, dark and scary, 9.7. Uh, we were looking for 9.8, but two-tenths month-on-month is half of expectations. And again, following China's PPI number, just enough yeah. tantalizingly uh, for those who hope we're in peak mode. That along with yesterday's CPI, no real worse than expected, and also the sequential declines month, month over month. All that stuff, uh, I think, filtering into a market that has spent weeks and weeks you know, getting ready for it and seizing up in advance of that sort of thing and and essentially pricing in a lot more uh, on the Fed side than we were expecting a few weeks ago. I think that's the the big takeaway. Yesterday, the S&P 500 closed at levels we first got to two months ago. And in those two months, the market has repriced what the Fed's going to do this year. So no net damage at the headline, a ton of you know, kind of purge at the at the lower reaches and the more speculative and expensive stuff. So the the, the fact that consensus has baked this in is that does that mean a B of A this morning suggested that value, yeah. as if it's a thing, wants to uh, make a comeback against this growth spurt here? Yes, um, the impetus is very strong coming into the year for cyclical for value to to kind of take the four. You look at the material stocks yesterday, whatever you want to measure it by. It, it has been working. Financials and energy, what, they up almost 10% in the first week. Now, it also seems like it's coalescing into the consensus that that should be the thing to do. So I kind of work, again, work you know, those two things in opposition to each other where it's plausible, it makes sense, the macro follows. Uh, but on the other hand, it seems like people want it pretty bad. <laughs> you know, I always go into, it feels more virtuous, doesn't it, if you're a professional, say, you know, it's going to be about fundamentals. It's about earnings this year and next year. It's about the kinds of things that are underowned, and they tend to work in this type of environment. So it, it's hard to say that there's a clear edge one way or the other uh, because you did see a couple of days where it doesn't take much for Microsoft down 10% to rally a percent and a half in a day. Yeah, I mean, yesterday Bill Nigren joined us, of course, energy and banks, right? now. Yeah. He, he tends, to, I mean, he's had very good performance. He tends towards sort of growthier and makes value cases for growth names, yes. but nonetheless, energy and banks sort of is where you end up. They have had a nice move yeah. so far. And, and I think you could also say quality within value. So he's, he, he would be the type of investor who would be following, I think, what also is a, lar- a large line, which is, you know, don't necessarily go to the junkiest, cheapest stuff. 
you know, don't go to like the worst life insurance company in the market, <laughs> but buy a business that seems to be pretty good, but also is like relatively attractively valued. Right. I think that's where we are. And then we'll hear what Brainerd says uh, later on today. We got some remarks out last night. Harker's out this morning. Um, balance sheet could begin late 22. Uh, to early 23 in terms of a runoff, concern that expectations could become unanchored, which is interesting if you look at the five-year expectation, can yeah. barely get above three. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. Market-based expectations are not really uh, kind of off and running. You know, I mean, they're above where they were for the prior 10 years, and uh, it looks like there's definitely going to be kind of touch. And 3%, you know, it's higher than it was. Uh, but in terms of consumer, it's so hard to measure, you know, expectations. I think it's their way of saying, we're going to do as much as we can do to, to normalize, to get the balance sheet down, to, to kind of rebuild, uh, you know, the ability to respond down the road and to just get off of an emergency setting. And we're going to use whatever rationale we, we, we have to to get there because we, they declared, you know, it's, it's a tight labor market right now. It, it's almost done in terms of what they feel low rates and, and balance sheet expansion can do to get more jobs uh, growing in, in the well, short Well, that term. continues to be the main concern of business leaders, at least, according yeah. to this latest, I think it's conference board uh, survey, um, even ahead of inflation, which obviously is a, a key concern. And COVID, by the way, way down the list, at least here in this country. Others, it, it seems to be a, a greater concern to executives. But it's Worrying about where you're going to find your employees is, is, is job number one right yeah. now. Right. And the question is, uh, is, can that be solved at the macro level? Can the Fed do anything to create the conditions where people spill back into the workforce and decide to, to take a lot of these open positions? Or is that just a matter of COVID and just a matter of, you know, uh, immigration, something else besides just well, where we are. Yeah. I mean, look at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce yesterday yeah, saying we exactly. need to double uh, the rate of, of legal immigration. But it's not just the Fed. You've got fiscal drag. Yes. You've got wallet share moving back to services. Um, you've obviously got the hopes of easing supply chain and tightening policy, right? right? Shouldn't all those things be working in concert? They should. And I think that, you know, I think that's the that's the headwind. That's the current that's kind of fighting you uh, into this year. Um, I don't think that, you know, don't fight the Fed became a cliche for no reason. <laughs> Ultimately, they'll get what they want if they really want to slow things down. But we're starting from such a position of easy financial conditions, like never looser financial conditions. So I guess the upbeat case is that there's room to go before it really starts to pinch. Um, and in the meantime, you know, companies have a cushion with profit margins and they've turned out their debt and not a lot of, you know, uh, debt is going to reprice in a, in a way that's going to hurt in a, in a short term. That's, that seems to be the, you know, uh, the hopeful case. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to the pandemic uh, as well. Of course, we did mention uh, um, Omicron briefly there. On the Today Show this morning, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris telling Craig Melvin she estimates COVID-19 tests for all Americans will go out next week. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. Next they've week, been or? ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. But soon. Absolutely soon. And it is a matter of urgency for us. Of course, this comes as it, it appears, at least, that uh, case counts have crested and are starting to decline in some of the earliest and hardest hit states. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to extend across the country immediately, uh, given sort of the nature of the virus at this point and how it's spread. Um, 
and the shutdowns that come along with it, or I should say the slowdowns, not the shutdowns. Right. And then obviously the con continued concern about hospitalizations, despite, of course, what is milder typical symptoms, certainly for those who've been fully vaccinated. And you also wonder if the, if the tests at this point are more about, you know, once somebody has been positive, getting the green light to go back to work. You know, I mean, that's the part of the, 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 the log jam that maybe can get loosened up. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be, you know, a way to sidestep the, whatever wave is washing over the country. So I think, I think the real question is, has the market been a little bit too sanguine about how quickly we're going to emerge out of this? Uh, I'm not saying we have been too sanguine, but it's, it's arguable. Um, I mean, some of the travel stuff's gotten hit pretty hard. Well, but in general... Yep. Yeah. Yep. GDP has a shortage of workers is a key for just a lot of industries at this point. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about airlines this week and absenteeism yeah. and United's uh, new work operations. Delta today, of course, uh, pretty good um, uh, earnings data, adjusted revenue about three quarters of Q419. But again, having to push back that expectation for a full recovery, at least in domestic leisure. Um, great piece uh, this morning in Boston uh, looking at wastewater, which has been used as a high-frequency metric to measure Omicron cases. This quote from the epidemiologist at Harvard, when I refreshed the website and saw it, I literally punched the air and let out a hoot because it was something I've been hoping for, the, just the uh, uh, exponential decline right, yeah. in, in wastewater data. Yeah, yeah, exactly what people have wanted to see. And again, I think that's it's more ratifying the way people have been thinking about this wave than it is right. fresh information that says, oh, what a great sigh of relief we can now uh, all exhale. So, you know, great to see. Um, again, it's about like, did we ever think that, you know, we get to a point when a parade of Fed officials would not even give like the lip service to the, the Omicron wave in, in terms of saying how that might delay their, you know, their moves on rates or the balance sheet? I mean, I think that tells you where we got to before this all. Right. But the market seems us. also to have been looking past it for some I mean. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, not just the Fed, but investors 100%. as well. It doesn't seem to have really impacted Only very a lot of targeted travel-related areas yeah. seem to you know, have to absorb that hit. It's good news for Massachusetts. Let's hope everybody can get yeah. back to school and college as quickly as yeah. possible as of well. Of course, it's not... Uh, COVID's not just a domestic story. Uh, there's reports of an outbreak in the Chinese city of Tianjin. Uh, we've been watching, uh, now Dalian, in addition to Tianjin, uh, but actually Bloomberg had a nice piece this week about how they're going to evolve from a zero tolerance policy to what's called dynamic clearing, and meaning one city just gets restrictions all over the place, rest of the country can sort of operate as normal. If we move to that, that would have huge implications for supply chain and trade and, and prices. Yeah, China's been interesting because it has followed a policy that the rest of the world doesn't appear to any longer be following, which is to essentially fully lock down. And the impact on the economy, not to mention obviously people's lives there, has been potentially significant. And you do wonder, Carl, at what point they have to start to take the brakes off to a certain extent because their economic growth is going to suffer as a result, as you say, supply chain and so many other things. But China's been interesting to watch. And it has come up a number of times in conversations I've had with with uh, asset managers who at least, you know, as a percent of global growth, obviously it continues to be a very important one, yeah. does China. And they are still willing to put the brakes on entirely to try to go zero COVID, which in the current wave just does not seem something that is A, possible or perhaps not necessarily even recommended. Yeah, the bear case for a little while now has been zero COVID policy plus the Olympics means 
they're going to err on the side of tighter uh, things like that. For whatever little it's worth, the Chinese stock market has actually been a great performer this year so far. It's coming off an incredibly depressed base. Um, but emerging markets in general have actually had a little pop. And emerging markets, the indexes we look at are like, you know, 55% China, Japan, and, you know, Samsung, basically. So, <laughs> Samsung. Pretty right. much. Right. Well, it's Samsung a, it's is a, it's a, a fifth part of the, the Korean economy. Yeah. Right. Samsung exactly. is a huge and part of the South Korean really market. shouldn't be in the emerging markets anymore. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you look at the EEM, that's where it is. You should spend um, more so time like talking about Samsung. market has done nothing. Right. right. And that's what we used to think of as being very important. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to watch is this CapEx budget out of a Taiwan semi. Uh, just mind-blowing numbers yes. on the amount of money they're going to spend on uh, new uh, foundries. Top holding in the EEM. Top. Yeah, that's right. That's right. When we come back, we'll get an outlook for tech in 2022. We'll talk with Cowan's internet analyst about his note, which does include a downgrade of one of the social media names. Lots of calls on Hertz, downgrade of Snap, uh, some action on Bumble and Match today, Mattel and a lot more. Take a look at futures here as we got that just slightly cooler than expected PPI print. We're back in a moment. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. What we do see in the booking data is the President's Day weekend forward looks really robust. Uh, our numbers uh, and the bookings continue you know, through this period. People are ready to travel. They're ready to book their spring plans. Uh, they know Omicron's not going to be a threat to them at that point, and they want to get out and they want to reunite with friends, family, the world, get on with their, with their life. If you're traveling this weekend, that might sound familiar. Delta CEO Ed Bastian talking about passengers getting on with their lives. As we said, adjusted revenue, uh, 74 percent of on a two year stack on 78 percent of capacity uh, from that time. Susquehanna does up the stock to positive yeah. today. Yeah, I mean, 
they, they're going to trade on that incremental visibility toward, you know, better volumes. It's not about, I mean, I don't know how you really value them anymore. I mean, in terms of, a, you know, the old cash flow multiples, you throw it out. They're too high right now based on, you know, all the capital they've raised. But, you know, just Delta and the airline index in general, they're trading back to levels where they were like November, December 2020. All right, so we're talking 13, 14 months ago, they did have a 20% rally off of that into early last year. We're kind of rerunning that script of another reopening dynamic and, uh, and maybe firmer pricing, and maybe you can dangle you know, the carrot of business and higher margin international down the road. So right. that's, that to me is like the sequence of stuff they trade on. Yeah, I uh, know. We're going to definitely watch Transatlantic. And also this report on Boeing today and whether or not the, uh, yeah. the MAX returns to service in China in the next few weeks, maybe. Take one more look here at Futures as uh, we get closer to the opening bell. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in a minute. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Cowan's out this morning with its annual state of ad tech note, giving a bullish outlook for 22. Joining us this morning is Cowan's John Blackledge. John, great to see you again. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Everyone, Good to see you. Uh, every, everyone loves to wring their hands about the changes in iOS, but it sounds like you, it's not going to be a match for the strength in the ad market overall. Yeah, yeah, Carl. Um, a little bit of mixed signals. So uh, this is the 10th year we've done uh, this work. Uh, the ad buyers were the most bullish they've been in, in 10 years. And that was driven by a number of things that they called out, including uh, the macro, good macro expectation, rising consumer mobility, uh, uh, supply chain issues abating, uh, shift to digital, uh, among, among other things. Uh, but at the same time, they were fairly negative on the iOS 14.5 changes, uh, you know, kind of calling out uh, diminishing ROI, uh, issues with measurement and attribution and issues with retargeting. And uh, about over 60% uh, expect the issues to persist for six months or more. Uh, so so a little bit of uh, negative on, on the iOS 14.5 changes and, and that can impact some of the platforms, but overall, you know, pretty bullish on, on spend. Yeah, the, the actionable moves, uh, it looks like Snap is the, is the center of attention today. You go to market perform, uh, you talk about yeah. the, the iOS changes, hard comps, and your target goes down 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah, uh, so it, it just to, just to uh, uh, recap, so two years ago, January 2020, off of the survey, we upgraded Snap at, at about $16. And the reason we upgraded at the time was over the prior three years, um, we saw rising adoption of Snap's uh, direct response ad biz. Uh, so we upgraded 16 stock, you know, in the, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
does very well. And during the pandemic, the DR ad business really helps Snap. Uh, then the then you get the iOS changes and um, Snap misses last quarter. And so um, we just think it's going to persist for a little bit longer for Snap. So the headwinds from iOS changes. Then you have tough comps in 1Q and, and 2Q, peaking in 2Q22. Uh, and it's not that cheap. You know, it's at 14 times revenue on 22. Uh, so, so we moved to the sidelines. Uh, we still longer term think it's a great platform, but uh, just a little bit concerned about the, the iOS changes and the impact on Snap. Uh, John, uh, you also note Amazon from your survey results uh, expected to become perhaps the third meaningful player when it comes to advertising alongside, of course, Facebook or Meta, actually Facebook, let's call it, uh, an alphabet. Yeah. Uh, what are your expectations there? How important is this business going to become for Amazon? Yeah, um, yeah, David, so uh, we, we have uh, Amazon going from about over the next five years. Uh, we have it growing well over 20% annually. Uh, the overall market, we think, grows kind of like low teens. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to be a share gainer. They had a huge year uh, in 2021 uh, with the ad business uh, accelerating significantly. You didn't, the, the share price didn't, uh, you know, uh, wasn't, you know, didn't appreciate as much. Um, uh, but, but yeah, no, uh, Amazon's ad business should be strong. Um, it was noted by the ad buyers uh, as being the big, biggest expected share gainer the next uh, two years. John, uh, talk about TikTok. You address it in the report. Uh, are public investors in the U.S. players kind of missing a big piece of uh, digital ad growth in general by, by not necessarily uh, grabbing a piece of TikTok? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Amazon and TikTok were two biggest expected share gainers within digital budgets. Uh, if we have, we've been asking this question the last couple of years. If you start a new branding campaign for 13 to 34-year-olds, where are you starting it? 26% said TikTok. That was number one. It was ahead of YouTube uh, at 24% of respondents and Instagram at 20%. Uh, so, so yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. Um, because it's not public, you are missing, uh, the, the investors are, are missing out. Uh, but but uh, no, it was, uh, it showed up really well across the board in the survey. And also, you know, we asked, as it relates to the iOS changes, almost 30% of the ad buyers said that they were gonna shift budget. It was, you know, where are you switching it to? In order, uh, Google search was number one, uh, TikTok, YouTube, and Amazon. So across the board, TikTok showed very well. Uh, John, look forward to digging into uh, Alphabet and Twitter maybe next time, but a good, a good uh, yeah. roadmap for what the ad market may look like this year. Good to see you. Uh, John Blackley, Joe Brickell. All right, we are on track for a positive open. Let's take another look at futures. Yesterday, uh, S&P was up again. You see the uh, S&P up about 10 points. It would put it in the zone of yesterday's highs. Dow Industrials up 122 at this point. NASDAQ up 55. Opening bell just a few minutes away. All right, big IPO to tell you about over at the NASDAQ. TPG, one of the, uh, one of the names that certainly for those of us who've covered M&A for as long as I have, we can go back to a long time ago, of course, one of the big names in private equity for quite some time. Used to be sort of focused on the buyout business, so to speak. Certainly one of the anchors of that business uh, for quite some time. Founded in 1992, but over the last, let's call it 10 years, certainly become a much more of a, of a growth investor, early stage. I don't want to call it early, but uh, pre-public 
um, taking significant stakes and the like. $109 billion in uh, assets under management, about $59 billion of that is uh, fee paying, priced at $29.50. So we'll see how the stock performs this morning, Mike. And of course, it's the last thing that I can think of added to, you know, Blackstone, of course, which is many years ago, which is broadly speaking the largest by far of the alternative asset platforms. But so many of them have different identities, whether it's Carlyle or KKR, which has its capital markets business, Apollo, which really in many ways is an insurer these days. Um, But now we have TPG as well. It'd be interesting to see how the stock performs once it comes public, especially given last year, which was not a particularly strong year for the performance of IPOs after market. Definitely not strong for IPOs. It was very strong for the alternative asset managers. They're down from a late year uh, peak, you know, Blackstone, KKR, they're all down 15%, but they had great runs. Yes. In fact, you know, Blackstone's market cap's bigger than BlackRock's market cap. And bigger than, and bigger than cities, bigger than Citicorp. It's it's one of those real markets. Of course, Blackstone came public at the very top of the market in 07, very famously. Yes. So, you know, investors love the group and the dynamics. It is very telling, though, that, you know, Blackstone with... Lower sales and half the revenues of BlackRock is the bigger market cap, just because the fee structure and the idea that, you know, there's, there's a scarcity value of the quality managers in the alternative. Uh, TPG, Carl, is sort of timing the IPO with what will be major fundraising on its part, capital raising for many of its core products, which certainly investors may see as a positive because it will give it potential momentum as it now begins life as a public company. Yeah. And, of course, we get to open uh, the gift of bank earnings beginning tomorrow uh, with the likes of uh, JPM. There's the opening bell and the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board. It is regional bank M&T at the NASDAQ private equity firm PPG, as David said, celebrating its IPO, the biggest of the year so far. A lot of, lot of attention being paid to the banks. I read one take yesterday, Mike, that those who are in it lately are in it for the rental and are weak hands. And we're going to see how much gets washed out uh, in the next, say, two to three trading sessions. It's a fair assessment. Um, there's been a tremendous number of kind of upside head fakes. People thought it was finally happening with banks. Um, I mean, they're not starting from a particularly cheap valuation at this point. I mean, on their own terms, yeah, sure. You want to say compared to the S&P because the S&P valuation's up. But you know, J.P. Morgan up 1.8 times book value and forward book value, and uh, that's kind of as high as it's gotten. And you, they trade 15-ish time earnings, so a lot of things probably have to look pretty good, uh, or the numbers have to really keep going up. Obviously, you know, Fed rate hikes are, are, are a tailwind for for banks. Um, everyone wants the, the you know the banks where they have a lot of leverage to higher rates, so it makes sense. The Reserve release story might be over, so now it's about actual kind of operating and credit experience. Um, so it seems like it makes sense, although it's been interesting, you know, City had this, this big catch-up move at just to start the year, so it seems like that's the game, like which names have not been fully exploited to this point. Also, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, very weak yesterday, offered Jeffrey's earnings. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey's had a miss in the morning, yeah. and so we'll see if that kind of last more than a day. It just seems like it wasn't a great quarter capital markets-wise uh, in the fourth quarter. Wells Fargo has been by far the greatest performer. Yes. Again, back to, I mean, although it did have a strong year last year in the stock market, but a long way to go to recover anything in terms of its former glory. And the bull case is that it has a long way to go. <laughs> the bull case is it's been undermanaged. There's a lot of costs to be stripped out. You know, 
I guess I guess you could still say new management. I mean, it feels like yeah. everything just happened. Yeah, for, but it's to not me, anymore. But, I mean, Charlie Sharp's not been there. I mean, for when a while, City but, said they were getting out of the Mexico consumer banking business, yes. I thought to myself, they just bought Banamex. It was 20 years ago. Yeah, like that happens a lot <laughs> we're, we're these days. We're talking about yeah. this all camera. And time flies in your yeah. own head, right? Yeah, yeah, anyway. it's, uh, yeah you, you're getting old, Mike. I'm I guess so. you. That's how yeah. you know. Yep, yeah. that's how you know. Yeah, that's how you know. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch banks. It's also about the curve to a large course, degree, yeah. right? And if that doesn't go as well, uh, then then the whole model sort of uh, doesn't perform the way you'd think. Energy is going to mean between financials and energy, we could just do a show on those two sectors. Uh, but oil uh, was shooting for three days up today, settling back a bit. Nat Gas has had a crazy 24 hours, Mike. Yes. Um, uh, on the back of some wild weather swings, but the earlier this morning, uh, down at least five. A lot of excitement um, about those names. Now, it's one of those deals where a lot of the energy stocks, you know, they look kind of overbought, but in a good way. It means they're gathering momentum. Um, they clearly still have leverage to what the commodities are doing. You know, yesterday crude was up and the stocks didn't do anything. So you have to ask if they, they need to take a rest, consolidate. But also, people pointing out copper. Big move yesterday. Uh, you had this huge spike in, in the fall, but beyond that, it's like basically as high as it's been in a, in a while. So, you know, once again, it, it kind of that the gears click in to say, oh, it's now another reflation trade. Is that where we are? Um, Exxon Mobil's market so. value is once again above 300 billion. Yeah. It's been quite some time since the company has seen that. In fact, if you go back and look, I'm taking a look. I mean, yeah, take you back to certainly uh, middle, let's call it end of 2019, maybe, maybe even towards then. Uh, obviously, 2019-20, not a good period for that. But last year was quite a strong period for the stock. Um, and then it has begun this year as well. So much for all those who worried about whether and where the next dollar was coming from to invest, given the ESG constraints on so many yeah. different funds. It does appear that there has been capital that's been attracted as a result of perhaps the opportunity to see stronger performance given the price of oil. Yeah, there's public money to, 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 to you know, pull the stocks up. I guess that's the idea. Um, question is, you know, it's not necessarily the case that they're doing a whole lot on the supply and capex side. So that, again, is the bull case, is yes. that it's, this is a more supply-constrained, you know, market than it had been before. And, and therefore, you know, you have the leverage to the, to the price, whatever it's doing. Uh, Housing is going to be fun to watch today. KB Home. Up 10% this morning uh, on better-than-expected results. Uh, that's going to lead you to at least a high going back to, say, last May. Uh, and then Lennar with a 50% div hike. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, if Kramer here, he would be paying attention to these two names Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Pulte's the best performer in the S&P right now. Uh, D.R. Horton's up, too. So it's obviously, you know, it's a group uh, move at this point. And, you know, they trade lower when longer-term yields go up and mortgage rates get reset higher. But... I don't know. I mean, given what home prices are doing, up 10 to 15 percent, I mean, does a, a half percent move on the mortgage cost really move the needle that much in terms of supply? I, mean, I, I think that's the argument right now because the home builders have been, you know, so strong. And I know Home Depot got some positive comments. True, today, true that's, is today. That's yep. kind of been the, you know, the shadow play. Uh, and that's, you know, worked well until recently. Yeah. Uh, Fitch had a great report yesterday about home prices. Um, still looking for a home price growth this year, but nowhere near right. uh, last year's. And then looking at overvalued markets in their view, the top three, all in Idaho, strangely exactly. enough. Yeah, boomtowns yeah. in Idaho. Which yeah. have had banner uh, 2021s. Um, we mentioned chips, and chips are going to definitely lead the way this morning. Taiwan Semi revenue up 24, uh, beat on the top and the bottom line, but it's CapEx uh, forecast for the year. 40 to $44 billion versus 30 
uh, in 2021. Uh, they call it a multi-year industry megatrend. And Mike, trying to tamp down these, I guess you can call them concerns about chip oversupply in the coming years. Their point, of course, is that the number of things that chips are going into, EVs, the most glaring example, is just going to grow for years. It's I mean, obviously, pretty hard to argue that. And the stock uh, on that report is, is not being punished. So it's not as if the market, you know, is necessarily trying to be vigilantes and say, don't spend. It, it seems like that's what you get rewarded for. Um, so, uh, you know, multi-year story. I know, like, all the auto commentary this year is that, you know, finally we have loosening up in, in semis. But it seems fragile. It doesn't seem as if it's in the bag. Um, so, so clearly, you know, that's something that, uh, that the market wants to see. Um, been tough to make that case that, you know, we're, we're kind of headed for a glut. That's always been the thing. Oh, they look a little expensive and the cycle is pretty treacherous when it gets to this point, but it's working still. Which, which kind of leads us to this. Did you see this chart from Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas last night? No. Basically looking at how Tesla and Apple would work eventually. He's admitting, he says, he even says in the note, uh, we understand the chart below may raise more questions than answers, and we don't have all the answers either. But autonomous cars is the mother of all IoT AI projects. Tesla has a head start. Can Apple achieve second mover advantage yet again? He's, they, Jonas is now calling it the mobile metaverse, this new experience of driving, once you don't have to do the actual driving. Right. Well, even, even when you do have to do the driving these days, the interface and your ability to actually deal with your car through all of the technology in there be, is becoming more and more important. We all know that. And there are some um, companies that are very good at making cars, but not as good at actually having that consumer interface work well. There's one company I know that really has a good job at doing that, and that's Apple, which is why we continually hear the questions about whether they really would consider getting into the automobile business, so to speak. And certainly when you could imagine that it's simply a function of getting in the back of a car and looking at a screen, that that would be something they might be interested in. Um, guys, I want to move from that to space, if we can. Virgin Galactic is down a lot. In fact, getting close to that SPAC IPO price, this was one of the more successful SPACs, if you recall, Virgin Galactic Holdings. I'm talking about SPCE. There it is. Um, we can go back over time. Uh, Mike was pressuring the, uh, the stock this morning as the announcement of, um, of an issue of 425 million of convertible senior notes. They're doing 27. Uh, obviously, you do get some pressure when the uh, convert ARBs get in there as well, right. potentially. But it is notable that that stock is down dramatically. If people recall, this was one of the more successful SPACs out there. You have to look far and wide now. Lucid certainly comes to mind as perhaps the number one, uh, in, uh, sure. and very, very few really have performed particularly well. And it's, I don't know, we've looked at our indexes lately, but many trading well below their $10 issue price uh, before they've announced a deal, and oftentimes even after they've announced yeah. a deal, and even after they've closed said deal, and there you can take a look. That's the only one, I believe, that's trading above par of our, of our various indexes that we have that track uh, the SPACs. It's amazing. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you go back, I mean, what was Virgin Galactic supposed to be doing in terms of passenger revenue and cash flow in 2022? I mean, yep. you know, what they put out there at the SPAC conversion that, was That, by the way, is the, is the biggest indictment right there. That post-SPAC, if you took, yeah. again, that's at 72 cents on the dollar at this point. Yeah. That's after the deal has closed. And that sort of is a, is, it's got to be concerning. Uh, not to mention, we haven't talked about it in a while, but there's still hundreds upon hundreds right. of SPACs that are looking for deals 
many of them could look at the name like Virgin and say, hey, look, there is value to be created. Sure. Not as much right I now. I mean, I even did hear when we looked at the small cap growth carnage late last year and the kind of, you know, the, the software companies that were getting ditched uh, and, and the micro caps that were being created, that all of a sudden it was bullish for SPACs because finally, you know, you could at least sift among the wreckage and maybe there's... There's some value. You can make a decent deal that's rational and makes sense by the numbers. But if you haven't seen a lot of that, it's obviously going to take some time for that to, for that to sort itself out. Uh, Adam Aaron, um, AMC uh, and the share sale uh, getting some attention. He did tweet back in August. I said that at age 67, I would sell some shares uh, toward year end. Uh, all trading decisions out of my hands. Uh, goes on to say those sales are all now finished. I still own or plan to vest in more than two million shares. I am in. The uh, headline, though, out of Bloomberg this morning, Adam Aaron says he's done selling shares 42 million dollars later. Yeah, he sold 625,000 in November, another 312,000 in December, and then this most recent sale again of 312,000 uh, shares. Um, most of the shares that he says he's going to hold, I don't believe, have vested as of yet. He also did transfer, I think it was half a million shares he gifted to his uh, adult children. Um, I mean, we've, been, we've talked for quite some time about how could you not, if you were in his position, try to monetize to a certain extent yeah. the enormous gains that were fully unexpected uh, from a company that is still dealing with the, uh, with the impact of the pandemic, despite the incredible success of the last Spider-Man movie. Um, and Mike, I mean, any valuation you wanted to use on a fundamental basis would not get you anywhere near no. an $11.6 billion market value for this company. No, but it was, what, 20, 25, yes, 25. at some point. Um, you know, and then you add the debt, and it seemed out of whack. And what's been interesting is it's not even clear that his share sales have been a big pressure point because it's just been, you know, it's been in a bit of a downtrend. You know, GameStop, something similar where a little bit of the energy went out of, uh, of that trade. And then, you know, you even saw some responses from people who trade the stock that somehow it could be twisted as bullish because he wants to, you know, buy into the squeeze that's coming. That's the kind of big... Uh, kind of fan fiction <laughs> bull case for the stock. But, uh, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world for, for him to be, you know, turning it into some cash. Uh, the day has been colored a bit by some upgrades of names that have been really hard hit. I know Piper upgrades a Chegg uh, today, and we're going to talk to Dan Rosenzweig uh, later on this morning, I believe. But a um, bunch of upgrades of Match um, and Bumble as well. Uh, Goldman takes a look at uh, both names. They say over the next couple of years, we expect online penetration of online dating to increase, driven by the erosion of social stigma, uh, increased access to the internet and mobile devices, and growth in the number of singles. Yeah. Uh, well, there was like a bit of a, you know, uh, there's a demographic story there, a bit of a delay in terms of, of marriage. But also, I mean, they've really been cast as a, as a reopening play as well. You know, you're, you're going to meet somebody in person, in theory. And so it, it sort of worked. Again, it's like the airlines. They've had waves where, where the stocks got momentum because of that. And, you know, they're 30, 30% off the high for match, um, you know, as they keep trying to kind of create the next, uh, the next mousetrap, um, you know, in terms of product extension. So it, it does make sense. And it is, the, it is the time for reiterating why you love the obvious great glamour stocks like the Teslas and Apples and to say, hey, here's your chance for the thing that was, you know, going to the moon last year right. in terms of tech. Yeah, I mean, Bumble, to your point, I mean, it's, its best day was its first day when it went public early last year. Right. Uh, and it's been nothing but down since. Yes. Uh, Blackstone-backed IPO, Blackstone-backed company, obviously, 
and reflective to a certain extent of what you were talking about, which is, we were, you know, a year ago this time, we were talking about the speculative nature of many of these companies, the ones that were coming public in particular, to a certain extent, seeing yeah. enormous first day pops, and that ended. And these companies that basically were trading on total addressable market numbers and things like, you know, it's a subscale competitor to something you already know, and it seemed like the new, uh, you know, the, the new competitor that you could probably try and, and see if it could capture market share quickly. A lot of those in, in retail uh, and in consumer products, just, you know, look at the Oatly chart, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. That was, that was 2021, you know, type of business, and that, we're not really doing that anymore. No, not, not, not so far this year. Um, so you got the NASDAQ aiming for four straight wins. Dow has gone green for the month. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Morning, Bob. Open. We have uh, cyclicals and uh, tech is continuing to rally. Banks are at new highs. That's a very good sign for the market, at least for the next few days. Take a look at the sectors. Uh, semis are strong. Taiwan Semi had a great report overall. Uh, we got new highs in uh, applied materials and some of the other semiconductors. Banks are continuing to hold up really well. I mean, the new high list is littered with super regional banks. Uh, that's a little unusual going into earnings season. Uh, Energy's been a big outperformer uh, for uh, a long time. So we've got banks at new highs. You see some of these super regional banks like Comerica, U.S. Bancorp, Fifth Third. Of course, we'll start tomorrow with J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. But it's typical for banks to sell off a bit going into earnings season, uh, and that's not happening. So overall here, the big market theme has been Omicron is delaying but not derailing the recovery. We got this exact confirmation today from Ed Bastian. Uh, over at Delta. They were basically in line. But here's the headline, the one that matters here. He says, Omicron is expected to temporarily delay the demand recovery 60 days. There it is. Omicron delaying, not derailing the recovery. And they admitted they've had staffing problems, uh, disrupted travel, but he was quite positive overall uh, on, on the future. And that's why the market's holding up so well. The question short term for the market is, how much more can we push some of this stuff? Uh, Energy's had a tremendous run really since uh, the, the end of 2021. Uh, that's been a big market leader. Banks have had a tremendous run as well. Uh, other cyclicals like industrials and materials have been okay, outperforming, but not amazingly so. And, and defensive sectors like healthcare and utilities, consumer staples have been lagging this year. Tech is only down 3%, but we've had a four-day rally in tech, and you got to question how much more you can go. Yesterday, we saw bifurcation. Some of the mega cap tech did very well. Some of the Kathy Wood stuff didn't do so very well. So still not clear. What important thing is we're entering earnings seasons now. This is 2022. This is going to be a completely different year than 2021. You couldn't even get a more different year. We're going to have a much more normal 2022. So look at the fourth quarter. We're expecting 22% earnings growth. For 2021, earnings up 49%. You're going to go a long time before you see those kinds of numbers again. 2022 is going to see much more historically normal returns on earnings. The typical historic return is 6 7 8% on earnings. That's probably what we're going to see in 2022. And we should. The comparisons are a lot more difficult uh, for, for uh, 2022. Look at the earnings headwinds that we're going to face. There's three main ones. Consumer demand. Now, that's good. Right now, consumer demand is terrific. It's very strong. Uh, Fed policy is a real wild card and how they address inflation. The thing that is really hotly debated is the profit margins. We keep noting 13% historic high operating profit margins for the S&P 500 last year. How much at risk is that? And there's a lot of debate about it. The big issue is simply wage growth. It's not so much the commodity inflation, but wages are very persistent and seem to be very, very sticky. 
uh, Savita Subramanian over Bank of America. She had a whole report out on this. She said, we see corporate profits at risk amid rising wage pressures. And she said it is totally unrealistic, wildly unrealistic, to expect margins to remain at records at 2022, given the wage cost. So the point is, they're going to have trouble keeping up price hikes if the wage hikes keep going up uh, at this point. There's a couple of early warning signs I just want to point out. It's a little early, but two that really stick out in my mind. The first one is analysts are not raising estimates as fast as they used to. 20, uh, the fourth quarter of 2021, 22%, that's been flattish for a few months now. In 2021, they were raising the estimates very aggressively. They're not. The second is that we had about 20 reporters so far for the fourth quarter, about 20 companies reporting. They're beating by about 13%. The last year, those 20 were always beating by about 20%. So the number, the amount of beats is still higher than normal, but uh, the percentage of beats is definitely lower than it was last year. Carl, I think what I'm trying to say here is we're moving back towards more historic averages. And remember, when the markets get primed for the idea that you're going to beat by 10 or 20%, uh, that could be a little bit of a problem. We're going to have to have an adjustment a little bit in the next few months. Back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. Uh, Bob Pisani. Uh, so we're uh, back close to 47.40 once again. Before we go to break, let's take a look at bonds. Pretty much the entire curve a little elevated today. Two-year, uh, still above 90 basis points. Five-year, 1.5, and that 10-year, 1.73. Of course, Brainerd on the Hill in the coming hour. We'll be right back. A reminder, you can get in on the new CNBC Investing Club with Kramer. Just sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash investing club or just use the QR code on the screen. It takes you right there. Holding 47.40 or so, Dow's up 122, green again for the month. There's a twist for taxpayers when it comes to working from home. Robert Frank joins us now to explain the details. Hey, Robert. Good morning, Mike. Well, accountants say this is one of the top questions they are getting this tax season. If you work from home, can you write off your home office? And the answer is, it depends. Taxpayers who work for a company, in other words, those who collect a W-2 paycheck, cannot deduct any of their home office or home office expenses. And that's because the 2017 tax changes suspended the deduction for employees at least until 2025. But for self-employed workers, business owners, or partnerships, they can take the deduction and the benefits can be substantial. So there are two rules that the IRS says that you need to fill for this deduction. The first is the taxpayer needs to use that portion of the home exclusively for business. And the home must be the taxpayer's principal place of business. And it's all done by ratio. So if your office is, let's say, one-tenth of your home by square footage and you pay $20,000 a year for your mortgage or rent, you can write off $2,000. You can also deduct one-tenth of the home's maintenance, the costs, repairs, property taxes, insurance, all of it. You can also follow a more simplified IRS formula of $5 per square foot for a maximum of $1,500. But Carl, this is yet another example of where it pays from a tax standpoint to be self-employed. Uh, fascinating look at where we are, uh, given remote work and how it's evolving quickly, Robert. I appreciate that. Uh, Robert Frank, take a break here. Dow's up 135. Pretty steady action in the first half hour of trade. We'll see what happens as the session goes on. S&P 4740. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.